So we are continuing today, I'm going to raise this a little bit, in our series on intentional faith. And as Wynn uh, told you a little bit about that, uh, we're doing this series so we can look at how we can take a step-by-step incremental approach to growing in our faith for the long run. We're not trying to overwhelm everyone. We, we know that everyone has a to-do list that is already probably too full. Uh, we also know that sometimes we, uh, we can let perfection be the enemy of the good, and we don't want that to happen either. We want to know that we're not going to be perfect right away, uh, but God does call us to practice, to take a step-by-step approach to living out our faith in all of our life. Now, we began this series uh, talking about two essential practices for intentional faith, uh, scripture reading and prayer. And many of you have uh, started the 100-day challenge. Uh, Many of you, if you're like me at least, have missed a day. (gasps) And remember, the goal is we're we're not doing this so we can be perfect or prove that, yes, I did read every single day on time. That we don't get a grade from God for doing that. Um, it's, it's about practice. I hope if you've missed a day, uh, you can just pick it back up the next day. Um, and if you've missed a day and it totally threw you off course, uh, Wynn reminded us we're going to start the Gospel of Luke. That's tomorrow. So if you need a restart, your restart is tomorrow, the Gospel of Luke. If you didn't start and you just need a start, the start is tomorrow, the Gospel of Luke. Uh, it's going to be good for you, and it's not about being perfect. You're not trying to impress God. Just trying to put ourselves in front of God's grace by reading scripture and by having some time to pray each day. We talked after that about some other parts of intentional faith, especially about the ways that we need to uh, incorporate our faith into parts of our life that we don't normally think of. We talked about bringing our faith home. Now, normally we love to think about our home life as like, this is my castle, my private space. No one can tell me what to do here, it's mine. God actually wants to have something to do with that castle life that you have uh, in your home. And it's an incredible opportunity to follow Jesus with your family, with your roommates, with friends that might frequent your household. Uh, That's an opportunity to have intentional faith with others. We talked last week about investing in who comes next and how we can't just think about our faith as being for us. If we want to pass down the Christian faith from generation to generation, as Scripture calls us to do, We have to look at ways we can be intentional to invest in those coming after us. That means building relationships. That means making room, being open to new ideas sometimes. I know that's that's hard for us. We have to invest in who comes next. That brings us to today. We're going to cover another area of life that we commonly don't associate with our faith life, and that is our work. Our work life. That's even a term that we use to describe something that's totally different totally separate from how we think about our faith or our home. And the truth is, my friends, God wants to be involved in our work life in ways that I think we seldom think about. We're going to look at some places in Scripture where there's good news and bad news about work life. And before we do that, uh, I want to invite you to pray with me. So let's pray. God, we're thankful that you speak into every part of our life, and we're thankful that your word applies to us as much today uh, as the original hearers. Help us to be open as we hear from your word, and that we could hear something for ourselves, to give us a personal next step, 
a picture of what it looks like to work with integrity, to have you be involved in our work life. God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. For you, God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we don't get a chapter into the Bible before work is brought up very explicitly. I want to show you where that is. It's really when God makes human beings. You can't really understand God making human beings without him also uh, talking about the way he has intentioned us to work. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Those are the things that were created in the previous days. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. You'll see multiple times it says that we're supposed to rule over basically the rest of creation. That, that wasn't a uh, command to be ruling, like we're, we're, I'm in charge and I get to decide what I want to do. That wasn't a permission to do whatever we would like. That was a call to take care of God's creation. Even uh, a half chapter later, as we hear about the Garden of Eden, and we look at the intentionality with which God put mankind in the garden, God says this, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So we see these words even there to work in the garden, to take care of the garden. When God created humans, he created us to take care of his creation. That is the ultimate work that all of us have been created for. Now, there's something really unique about this because God is the king in his world that he has made. He created everything. He gets to be the king. Often in king kingdoms, there are these things called a steward. And what does a steward do? They take care of the kingdom on behalf of the king. We are called to be stewards who take care of God's creation on behalf of God who created it. That's a pretty neat role. It really sets us apart from the rest of creation. There is something unique and different about human beings. Um, you, could look at it, you could talk about how we're very similar to monkeys, but th there is a difference. There is a difference. And here's actually the biggest difference. We already read it. I'm going to go back to it. God created us in his image, that we have the image of God in us. And a part of what the image of God in us means, it, there's, there's a lot we could delve into, but it means there are certain character attributes, certain things that, qualities we possess that are a reflection of God. And some of these things are the things that allow us to be the stewards over his creation. The ability to think critically. The ability to have self-actualization. The ability to uh, order things and govern. And some of you really got this one, right? To be really organized. The ability to be creative. Some of you really got this one and you're just, you are so creative. That's because that's a reflection of God who's the creator. That's a part of the image of God that's in all of us. And because we have that image in all of us, 
We're called to exercise that and to be the stewards of God's creation. So what, what this tells us is that God created us to work. God created us to work. Work is not just a product of the fall. I know some of you feel like work's just, it's because of sin. Work is punishing me. I'm sure of it. Work is actually a part of God's intentional design for what we are called to do in his creation. To oversee all of creation, to manage it, to organize it. Some of you especially called to organize it, to be creative, to be inventive, right? We have this capacity to invent new technologies. All of that is a part of the work we're called to as stewards of God's creation. Now, I said there's good news and bad news. This is the good news, that God has a good purpose for us to work. But the bad news is we get one more chapter into Genesis, and it, and it really gets messed up. This is something you might uh, resonate more with this if you don't like your job. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. And so Adam uh, receives this curse because he ate the fruit he shouldn't have eaten. He did not want to follow God's good rule. And so all of creation kind of comes undone, and even work itself gets cursed. Where work, instead of being a joyful overflow of the image of God in us, uh, it starts to become this struggle right? We've all experienced that striving where we try, try, try and still can't get enough. And we experience that in our work. It goes on, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken from dust, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Part of the curse of the fall is that uh, work does not work the way it's meant to. And even our mortality is, is in here, right? That we'll return to the dust of the ground. By the sweat of our brow, that's a, that's a saying that really has connotations with fear and anxiety. And how much does work cause us fear and anxiety? And so what do we do with this? We have to acknowledge that work is broken all around us. Now, I don't think I'm going to have a hard time convincing you of this. I really don't. A little straw poll in the office earlier this week gave me all I needed to know. I asked some people to tell me, what are some of the ways you see work as broken? And man, the lists got really long really fast. I think there's ways that each of us can maybe relate to this brokenness of work, the distortion of work, a little bit differently. So I want to go through a few of these things uh, that, lists, uh, that coworkers helped me come up with. One of the ways work is broken is... Um, work can easily become ultimate in our lives, right? Workaholism is a tendency that many in our culture really struggle with. We won't admit it. We don't like to admit it. That I love to work and I love to achieve more than is healthy for me sometimes. That sometimes I like to find my identity in my work, right? I mean, we see that even when we introduce ourselves. Hi, I'm Thomas. And what do you do? That's usually like the second question, maybe third, after where do you live? Are you from around here? What do you do? Let's define ourselves solely by our work. When work becomes ultimate, it's disordered. It's working outside of the way God has purposed it to work uh, because it can become an idol of sorts. And that's one way that work can be broken. Here, here's another way. 
Maybe for some of us, we experience work as just a paycheck. It's, it's just a paycheck. I got to put in my 40 hours, my 9 to 5 or 8 to 5 with a lunch break or whatever that is. I just got to get my paycheck, but I'm going to go home and I'm going to forget about it. The reason that is broken is because it, it operates on the assumption that our work does not have any eternal value. That our work does not have really any value except to give me my paycheck. As long as I get my paycheck, I'm good. doesn't really matter what I do during my work time or what my work contributes to. We can see our work as meaningless. Sometimes we experience the brokenness of work because it's just hard, right? Anyone ever experienced this? Or sometimes work is just hard. We can be unmotivated. We can approach work uh, with a resentfulness, right? It didn't give us what it promised. Maybe we're having to undergo change that we don't like at work. Or maybe we lost a job. Sometimes that is the difficulty of work, the brokenness of work. Maybe pandemic work is really hard, right? And I don't know what your situation was in the pandemic. Um, maybe for some of you, you had to learn, uh, you, you had to keep working, uh, but you had to work from home. And that led to some really unhealthy hours at work. Like you never escaped your email. Your work time became anytime you were awake, right? That, that dream of never having to go in the office didn't pan out so well. Maybe for some of you, you actually couldn't work, and so you lost your job. Eey, that's also, that's not good. Maybe for some of you, you had to keep working, but you lost your child care, and you had to work at home with kids. And man, I'll tell you right now, that makes me a really bad parent and a bad worker. That's what I learned in the pandemic. Um, maybe for you it was something else. For a lot of people, uh, the pandemic highlighted a lot of the brokenness of work. We even have a term that, to show the result of this. It's the great resignation. That so many people didn't like their jobs. People are quitting in mass. Right? Work is broken. I don't know which one of these uh, connects with you more. I'm guessing there's a whole group of us here that don't connect with any of these. And you're thinking this. I don't have to work. I'm retired. Thomas is not preaching to me today. I'm just a spectator. Well, what I want to tell you is uh, your retirement uh, is a part of the life that God still wants to be a part of. And so for you, if you're retired, that's great. Um, and I just want you to, wherever, wherever you see the word work today, you're going to think my retired life. So you're not off the hook. I'm sorry. You know, sometimes even retirement can become an idol in itself as an escape from work where we think, man, one day I'll just get enough money or get enough years in service and then I can, I can retire and I will be the boss of my own life. And I think there's some real shortfalls with that mindset that it is good to be able to get to a point of financial um, independence where you don't have to work for a paycheck. That doesn't mean that God is not still calling you to to work, and to be a part of uh, good work in the world, right? You know, the biggest area that I, as I think about this more, the biggest area that work might be broken is this, that work is disconnected from our faith. When we think about our work life, when we think about our faith life, I think there is like a big barrier between the two. We think, well, I can't bring my faith to work because that's not... 
Uh, that's just not what people want to hear, and I don't want to be that obnoxious Christian. And I also, my work probably doesn't have a whole lot of meaning, so I'm just going gonna, gonna to follow Jesus over here, and then during the day I'll go to work, or I'll live my retired life, or I'll, I'll do whatever it is that I do, and then I'll keep following Jesus after that. Maybe one of the biggest ways work is broken is we compartmentalize our life so we don't allow our faith to have anything to do with our work. We're talking about working with integrity. There's, there's a definition of integrity that we're probably familiar with. The quality of being honest and having strong moral principles, moral uprightness. That integrity is probably what you're imagining I'm going to tell you you need. That when you work, go to work and be a good person, be a good Christian at work. That is, that's good advice, but I think there's a deeper level of integrity that, I, that, that our intentional faith points us to. And that is the integrity of that second line, the state of being whole or undivided. Not letting our work life and our faith life be completely compartmentalized, but allowing them to be integrated in some ways. So that our intentional faith actually can influence the way we work and the work that we do. And so I want to look at some ways that this can happen. The, the question I think we really need to ask is how can we integrate our work life and our intentional faith? How can we do this? There's, there's a few ways. One is we have to recognize God's call to work. Remember in the garden, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. God created humans with this desire to see us work and oversee and take care of his creation. Uh, one of my favorite uh, theologians is a missiologist. He studies missions and the mission of God named Christopher Wright. And one of the things he points out is that that original call to care for God's creation does not go away when the fall happens. It changes a little bit, but it doesn't go away that we're still called to work in God's creation. We're still called to take care of his creation. And since we're in a broken and fallen world, a part of what that looks like is bringing God's redemption to the whole world, bringing the kingdom of God to all we come in contact with so that it can spread across the world, so that not just people can know Jesus as king, but also the ways of the kingdom, the justice and righteousness and goodness of God's kingdom can be known by as many people as possible. And so when we think about our jobs, we have to think about how we see our job as a part of God's call in our life to work or, or your retirement, right? How is your job or your retirement a part of God's call, a vocation? And you might think, well, I don't work for a church or a faith nonprofit. You know, we've done a bad job over the decades and centuries of talking about vocation and calling. So you guys might think that my job has a lot more to do with my faith than your job does. I, I do not think that's the case. I think every person, regardless of what job they're in, is called to understand that God is calling them to be at work in their vocation. I don't think this means we need to rethink our vocation. This isn't an invitation for everyone to just rethink your life purpose. Um, sometimes you need to change jobs, uh, but I'm not trying to get an in mass job change across our congregation. That probably wouldn't be good for us all at once. 
I think wherever you are, you start there and you ask, how has God given me the opportunities and the gifts and the skills and the talents to be a part of furthering God's kingdom in my workplace, in my spheres of influence? I've thought of some friends that, that, that do this well. I want to share a few examples with you. One of my friends, Claire Thomas, you might know, a member of this church, uh, she cuts hair, or she did before she retired. Um, she cut my hair even. You could say she's improving the image of God, as, right? She even took on this project. But even more than uh, furthering the beauty of creation um, and trying to do that on my head, she realized that haircuts are very special things that not everyone gets. Not everyone gets a personalized haircut. So Claire Thomas, when she was in her later 60s, began going to El Salvador with us so she could cut kids' hair for free. She actually paid to do it to give kids a personalized haircut to remind them that they are special and valued and loved. And I, I wish I could sh to tell you about the, like, the look on these kids' faces as they got to talk with her and say, I want this haircut, not that haircut. They, they had never gotten that before. And it was, it was a way that she, through her vocation, furthered God's kingdom. Um, I have another friend. I didn't ask uh, his permission. I'm not going to use his name. But, but my friend is a financial planner, a financial advisor. So he helps people manage their money and um, get the right financial services. We've probably all talked to people like this. And he understands his role as not just trying to get clients so he can make money himself but a way to help people overcome some of the financial hurdles that life throws at us so that people can live their fullest life. He starts off with this question of what are your goals and dreams in life? Because he wants people to be able to align their finances with a fullness of life vision, and he contributes to human flourishing by helping people overcome financial hurdles. That is his vocation. I have another friend, Neil McCullough. You might know this guy, a member of Bethany. He, uh, he, he has a company he started with a friend of his called Kingdom Living Homes. They do home remodels, and um, they don't just do home remodels so they can make enough money for themselves. There is an income part of their company, obviously. But they try to do home remodels that they could help people take the house they live in and make it a great home so that the family could be blessed there and the friends that come over and the communities that gather in those spaces would be able to be a blessing and experience the blessing of a great home. And wherever Neil goes, he's always, if you know Neil, he, he's also building relationships and trying to bless people and love on people and seeing how can I serve people in the process. He's living in his vocation by blessing others. My mom is actually an example that came to mind, that she had a career at Texas Instruments before, uh, before having three kids, and then the third kid was like, this is a little too much. She became a stay-at-home mom for, I don't know, 12 or so years, and then she had to go back to work. And if any of you have stayed home and tried to go back to work, you know that can be a struggle in itself at times, um, she realized she, she has a computer science degree, is really good with computers, so she began to help a lot of the older ladies in our church, most of whom were widows, uh, with their computer problems. Because a lot of them, this is about 10 or 15 years ago, they had home computers, and AOL would stop working, and they would, they would not know what to do, so she started a business of going to these older women in our church and helping them fix their computers. 
learn how to use them. She offered classes. Um, she used her skills and her gifts. What she realized is that many of them were also very lonely. So she ended up spending a great deal of time, more time than the billable hours, to bless people, to spend time loving on them, caring for them. And she did that as a part of her vocation. So I don't know what your work is, or retired life, what that looks like. Uh, but I'm convinced we can look at whatever it is we're doing and ask, how can God use this to further his kingdom in the world? And I have friends that are uh, executives in companies that have this mindset that look at how can I organize and order this company to be a healthy workplace and a healthy work environment. I have a friend who's a stay-at-home dad who's asking the question, how can I be a stay-at-home parent right now in a way that blesses my family and provides where my family and my kids need? And I have, I have friends and people I know who have low jobs in, in organizations, and even they can look at that and say, I'm being a blessing by what I'm doing. I don't know what it is for you. How can you understand what you do is not just something to do, but a part of God calling you into his kingdom work? There's two other parts of this. Um, that first one is the biggest hurdle, I think, to connecting the compartmentalization. But the two other parts of this is, um, number two is remember who you're working for. There's this great verse in Colossians where Paul says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. We, we all have human supervisors or employers or bosses. Or maybe we work for ourselves. Maybe you're self-employed or retired, the ultimate work for yourself, right? But God does not just want us to work for that boss. There's another boss God wants us to work for, and it is Jesus himself. I think when we, if we see our job as something we're doing for Jesus or our retirement, or our stay-at-home life as something we're doing for Jesus, I think it helps us with our motivation. We're not just working hard enough because our boss was good to us that week. It helps us with knowing who we're accountable to. Ultimately, I'm accountable to God for the work that I'm doing, for the life that I'm living. The other thing that's really good about this, when we remember that it's Jesus that we're working for, is... The same one who calls us to work also calls us to rest. If you guys remember, in the creation account, God creates the earth in six days, and on the seventh day, what does God do? He rests. He takes a Sabbath day, something we're really bad at in our culture, right? One of those reasons that work can become ultimate. And when we're working with God as our ultimate boss, one of the things we can remember is that God doesn't just call us to work, 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 workaholism. God calls us to also take time to rest, to have healthy boundaries in our work. That, oftentimes I find that I need a reason to have, give myself permission to rest. I don't know if any of you are like me, to remember that God calls me to it. That can help me approach my work life in a way that's healthy, that can be redemptive, not just for me, but probably for the people I'm working with too, right? The third thing is we can work as a witness to our faith. Now, this is where some amount of integrity, being a person that lives an 
in, in, lives a life of integrity can be valuable. Um, math, in Matthew 5, Jesus says this, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We don't just have to start obnoxious conversations to share Jesus with people. We can live in a way that blesses others, that lets the light of Christ shine through our lives. And one of the biggest ways we can do that is in the workplace. Most people spend 40 plus hours a week outside the home, outside of church, with other people that probably don't go to church in a week. We can shine the light of Christ in our workplace. And then when we do that, I think people will be blessed. The other thing we have to be ready for is what 1 Peter says. Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give reason for the hope that, it, that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So I think the thing we might need to be ready for is when people say, why do you do the thing you do? Why do you try to make, why do you always make honest decisions even though that hurt the bottom line? Why did you not take advantage of that situation to climb the corporate ladder? Why did you take time out of your workday to care for that coworker and then you had to stay late to catch up. Are you willing to say, it's because, it's because I follow Jesus? Because I'm trying to have intentional faith. Because my pastor told me to read my Bible every day, and this morning it was about love your enemies. Right? You can say that. That even could be a good conversation starter. But there's this ability we have uh, to let our work and the way we work and the way we live be a witness to the hope that is in us, that hope of Jesus. So I don't know where you're at. I don't know what job you work, if you're retired, if you're wishing you could be retired, if you're staying home and there's work in the home for you to do. But I wonder for you, where do you need most to grow in having an integrated work-faith life? Where do you need to grow the most? Wherever you need to grow the most, I hope you can be thinking about that this week. And I want to offer one practical, intentional step of faith that I hope you'll take me up on. This actually is just a part of the 100-day challenge. We just didn't put it on the bookmark. When you get to work, or when you wake up to your retired life, or to your working at home life, maybe what you really need to help you out to be intentional is to stop for just one minute and say a prayer. And that prayer can be a way to take an intentional step to invite God into your work life. To say, God, I give you my work today. I'm, I'm working for you, and I want my work to further your kingdom. Show me how to do that and be a part of my work day today. Maybe that's the most basic prayer we could pray to begin our work day. Before you uh, start, start going at the emails, before you uh, start trying to figure out your to-do list, before anything else, you can lift up your work. You can offer it to God. Would you pray with me right now? God, we give you thanks that you call us to work and that you have purposed us to be a part of taking care of the world you created. God, you have given us unique gifts, and I pray that for each person here, we could uh, catch a positive vision of work 
in the ways that you've called us to be a part of bringing your kingdom to people and to places. I pray for each of us, Lord, would you show us how in our place we can do that? And would you help us as we take steps to work for you, to be a witness to you in the workplace, that our intentional faith uh, could expand into our work life, Lord? We surrender that to you. We ask that you would come and be at work in our work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.